Hello and welcome to Conversations with Q, hosted by myself, Lucia Fontaine Powell. How many times have you finished or not finished reading a blog post and felt like you've heard the same thing again and again? We get it, the more content there is out there, the harder it is to bring something new to the conversation. And at Q, that's what we think is most important, the conversation. So we launched this podcast so that we can sit down and have a proper chat with leading marketers and entrepreneurs in the tech space and beyond to learn about them and from them. Now, I'm incredibly excited to introduce our guest in today's episode, as he's kind of a big deal. It's the one and only Sujan Patel, who is arguably the leading expert in digital marketing. Not only is he the co-founder of Web Profits, a growth marketing agency, but he's also a partner in a handful of software companies, including contentmarketer.io, Narrow, Mailshake, and our very own Q. Between his consulting practice and his software companies, Sujin's goal is to help entrepreneurs and marketers scale their businesses. He's an avid blogger and writes six blog posts a week for publications like Forbes, WSJ, Inc, and Entrepreneur Magazine. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. So hi Sujan, it's great to have you here, especially as you're a partner at Q and you've given us tons of advice and support over the last few years. Hello. Just so our listeners can get to know you, where are you based and what's your favourite thing about where you live? Uh, I'm based in Austin and uh, I would say my favorite thing about um, the area is just the amount of energy that's in, in, the, in the city. Yeah, it sounds like such a great place actually, like massive startup scene, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not as big as like the Bay Area, uh, other places, but I find it's a good balance between everything. Cool, yeah, and no, I've heard really, really good things about Austin. So yeah, I'd love to start off by talking a bit about your career. Now, I read that in the space of a few years, you went from college dropout to making over 200K a year as the head of SEO at a company called Oversee. So how did you manage that? Um, yeah, I mean, when you, when you put it that way, it sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you're in the weeds of it, you're like, holy crap, how am I going to make a living um, dropping out of college and, and whatnot? So I think, uh, you know, part of this was just like, uh, I got in at the right time. Um, in the, in the SEO industry at the right time, um, it was just kind of blowing up. Um, people were investing in it and they didn't need to be sold. Um, and I, I, I was just very, very hungry. So, uh, you know, before dropping out was, I was already doing SEO, uh, and I was doing consulting and then, um, I, I, I took a job at an agency and just kind of worked my butt off to get some wins and, Work. I had. I, I talked to my boss, and I asked him to be my mentor, and you know he coached me a lot, and and I pretty much moved. I kept moving up in positions, um, and also moving companies until I got to the kind of the manager level position. Um, that took me about two years to get to. Um, you know, again, I was just really, really hungry, and uh, and then I ended up at Oversee, and and uh, you know, while my two years at Oversee. I um, oversee at Net. I ended up, you know, growing out the SEO department, the market, you know, kind of working on the marketing initiatives, and um, ended up doubling, tripling my kind of salary, well, like 2.5xing it, um, just by being, you know, 
really, really aggressive in what we want to do, building out the teams, uh, and then, you know, negotiating, you know, showing like, hey, after a year of working there, I was like, hey, here's what I did. Um, you know, I'm highly underpaid for my position. Let's get me up to market rate. And um, and then I just kept pushing and, and hitting goals that would allow me to get bonuses to to get to that like 200K mark. Sure thing. Yeah. So you achieved a lot in a small space of time, really, just having a get up and go attitude. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of this, I think a lot of uh, how you succeed and get ahead in life is just by, is just by being hungrier than the people around you. Sure. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you've always worked in the tech space. Um, when you were younger, did you aspire to work in tech? And what do you find exciting about this industry? Um, I, my, I grew up kind of with a heavy tech influence. My dad was, um, in tech as well. He, he's, he's like a engineer in the IT space. And so I was always around computers and technology. So, um, I was just always fascinated by it. it was more in the hardware space before the internet existed. Um, uh, what I love about tech is that things just move really, really fast. We're usually, uh, at the forefront of what innovation uh, I wouldn't say invention because lots of what needs, everything is pretty much invented these days. Um, it's just kind of making it more usable and, and, and applicable to the masses. But yeah, I mean, it's always just good to be in the forefront of uh, of what's happening and, and kind of more cutting edge. Sure, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, and you mentioned just now that you had a mentor at the beginning of your career. Have you had more than one mentor throughout your life? And has that been quite crucial to your own development, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I've always had, you know, multiple, I've always had mentors. Um, I think it, it's, it's, I always find play, people who I can go to for advice. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of unofficial mentors, you know, people I read about online or like read their content. Uh, I ping them. You know, one of the things I do is anytime I read something really, really good, um, or, you know, I, I like, I learn something from a speaker or if a conference or whatever, I reach out to them later and just thank them and tell them what I did, what they told, what, what they said that made an impact and then um, how that has helped me. And one of the things that's helped me do is just build a connection and a place I can go back to for a person I can go back to for questions over time that may turn into an unofficial mentor uh, may turn into official mentor. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, every kind of, uh, I have no, you know, when I first started, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just dropping out of school and trying to like make, not die or like not make kind of make a living and so um these folks kind of just being around them inspired me and um they just kind of helped get help with a bit of direction and and uh help me get unstuck and help me kind of refine my my um um where i wanted to go sure so um you mentioned that you've got people who are sort of unofficial mentors to you just people that you admire if you had to pick three people right now that you really admire who would they be um i really you know i really like what um heathen shaw is doing of kiss metrics or not Kiss Metrics, crazy egg and a few other companies yeah. uh he, he runs product habits um you know i think his his uh his 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 fast his experience in product and understanding the customer and the way he thinks is um has helped me kind of level up um uh i would say another person richard branson um obviously very much out of reach although surprisingly i've emailed him for advice and he's emailed me back oh, um with some always a one-liner uh 
but you know, always helpful. And it's more encouraging than like demystifying something. It was just like, um, you know, very, very specific encouragement um, off a question I, I asked. Um, I, what I really like about what he's doing is with the Virgin Group, um, really just conquering anything he wants, any industry he wants to, to go after. Um, he's got a good, he puts a good management team in place. He has a really, he he really looks like he knows how to live life too. Uh, As a adrenaline junkie myself, uh, you know, really see him as a, you know, the forefront of like business and, and and an adventure, uh, which is awesome. And obviously with Ramp Ventures, uh, my SaaS kind of uh, holding company and operation company, you know, we're trying to do this, not same thing, but like that's definitely helped inspire us to be, you know, that we can run companies, multiple companies and, and, and put a good team in place to operate them. Sure. And Richard Branson's amazing. I'm sure a lot of people look up to him. Yeah. Third one. I don't know. Um, I don't really look at people like I don't really follow people specifically because, yeah. you know, everything is always kind of better from a, like when you, when you, you, you know, your first question is like, how I went from college dropout to making 200K in like two years. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, except for those two years were the hardest things of my life. And so, you know, I, I don't really look up to people specifically. I, I look for, I, I look to see like what problems I'm trying to solve and then really, you know, how I can go about solving those problems. And, you know, once maybe there's people who are very knowledgeable in that space or that problem. And, you know, I, I, I maybe potentially reach out to them or try to build that, uh, you know, maybe there's like influencers for that part of, my time of the session over something over a problem and I kind of move on so I, I, I you know I, I don't look at people as like uh, I don't really look up to anyone specifically because I want to kind of make my own path and I don't mean that in a bad way just like that's kind of what I want to focus on um, and I think it's it's possible no I think that's good advice and sometimes comparing yourself to other people or just trying to be someone else essentially isn't the route to success um so- Absolutely. I've also read that you work an 80-hour, six-day week. Is that true? And how did you work out that that was the most productive way for you to work? Um, well, it's definitely not the most productive way to work. Um, mm-hmm. It is um, a way to work. Um, so uh, I think the... I think the... Um, I think the uh, the way I kind of was looking at things is at the time I had a full-time job and I was working, you know, pretty much eight to five every day. And I would go home and, and pretty much do another like two stints. Uh, and I know and I say stint and it was just pretty much based off the, the laptop uh, battery life. So I would like hmm. go work on my couch um, and, and, or actually I would go to a coffee shop after dinner, like eat, you know, dinner at a coffee shop or a place I can work with the full battery and it would run out and it lasted about like three something hours. Uh, and then I would go home and pretty much do the same thing plugged in and I'd be working like two, three hours. And so I kind of just did the math working like six days a week. I'm like, Oh wow, I'm working, um, 13 hour days. Now in terms of productivity, no, it wasn't really the most productive. I don't think, uh, it's sustainable. I definitely don't work that hard anymore. I still work six days a week where I work on Sundays uh, in the morning time, just kind of get prepared for the week, do the admin stuff or hyper-focused work. Like when I have a lot, you know, when I'm giving a 
when I'm preparing a presentation for a talk I'm giving or I'm writing really like long form content or um, anything really that takes up like lots of brain power and I need to have focus is, is usually kind of the Sunday morning timeframe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like that kind of downtime, but now I'm working probably 40 to 50 hours a week. Um, but it, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't grind the so 80 hours a week for two straight years. Sure. Well, I love that about your battery life. Like who needs fancy productivity apps when you just got your Mac battery? <laughs> Tell you. Yeah. I think a lot of people overanalyze productivity, but that's also like, I'm, I'm also, you know, um, like I'd rather not spend time thinking about like where I spend my time. I'd rather think back of, uh, of like on my day. I'm like, okay, I had a to-do list and that list at the morning was prioritized based off of what's going to help me grow this company or move the needle. Did I get it done? And if the answer is no, um, and it's, you know, every day I'm, and the answer is no, then I'm doing something wrong. I need to fix it. Um, sure. I can use harvest or I can use apps and figure out like, how much time I wasted here and how much time I wasted here. But like, let's just say, I know I'm spending time on Facebook. So just stop going on Facebook. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need an app to tell me three hours versus 2.5 this week. If I'm spending two hours or two, three hours on Facebook, either way, that's a lot of suck of time. Yeah, definitely. So um, you just said that you wouldn't have got where you are today if you hadn't worked that hard early on. What does success actually mean to you? Um, it's a moving target. So like, you know, uh, if I look at my goals from like 10 years ago, or like when I first started my career, I would have hit success, um, you know, pretty early on. So, you know, I like when I first started, my goal was I need to get to six figures. Um, and then I got to six, you know, six figure salary. And I'm like, this is awesome. But it's not as much as I thought it would be. It didn't satisfy me. Um, and I was like, well, what, what else is the next goal? It took me a while to figure out the next goal. And it was like, okay, now I want to run my own business. And, and, and then when I had my own business, I wanted to like build a big team and get to like a few million dollars in revenue. First it was 1 million and it was like 5 million. And so um, it's a moving target for me. Um, you know, really now every, every year, every six months, the goal kind of changes. Uh, I'm always chasing the next goal. Uh, and I think according to books, studies, and pretty much any smart person out there that's done any research, this is a bad way to, to anchor your life, like to, to, to run your life uh, because it just means you're satisfied only for a brief period of time and then you're forced chasing it. But I really enjoy the struggle, the challenge of going after a goal. Um, even if the goal is like, I want to get to $100 million in revenue, like I don't even care what the number is. I don't care what I'm going to do with that money. I don't care that it is a dollar figure. I just care that it's a goal that I have to work really hard and smart to get to. Um, and so I think of it more of a challenge. And so that's kind of how I look at goals is like, I have micro goals, like what I want to achieve in, you know, a quarter, a year and, you know, five years. And then I kind of have like life goals, like what I want to do in life. Um, and so like, I made a list of my three life goals. I want to have, you know, $10 million cash, like in my bank account tomorrow, uh, or, you know, at, at the time, um, I want to climb Mount Everest and um, I want to be able to live a balanced life measured by like um, how much time I'm spending per day with my with my work and my family. Mm. Um, and so like uh, I have like under that goal, I have specific things like 
should not be at dinner looking at my phone, thinking about work. I should be, you know, hanging out with my family, doing whatever the heck we're doing that day. Um, so there's a couple, a couple things. So um, climbing Everest, I don't know that like that goal might change. I probably, you know, I, I hear a lot of people die doing it. So maybe not ever will happen, but um, I know if I need to do that, I need to train. I need to like climb a probably a smaller mountain and, and, and figure that out. So I don't know. Those are my goals right now. Yeah. Well, that very impressive goals have, and I, I agree with you. I think it's, um, it would be a bit of a weird, boring life. If you just goal one final destination and what would you do once you got there? A bit yeah absolutely yeah absolutely it's it's uh it's um i like when i look back at everything i've done and i don't look back and remember the goal i hit i and or the time i hit the goal or how i felt when i hit the goal i remember the struggle getting to that goal like i remember like when at single grain my first agency um we were able to get to about three million dollars in annual revenue and about 30 a little under 30 employees I remember not like us hitting the $3 million goal and going out for a big dinner. Um, I think we did that. Um, and we did it at every million dollar mark. I remember like one day we were on our way there and we were like uh, on the way to the $3 million mark. And we had like a huge payroll and operations cost. And like, I remember we couldn't make payroll one day and I had to put in a hundred thousand dollars of my personal money into our business account just to make payroll. And then like, I had to like, and so I was like, all that, like, I think it was like that what I forgot halfway through the year. I was like, every dollar I made this year just literally went back into the company. And I remember these struggles. And it's, I think that like life is more fun and, uh, when you think about like getting there and the journey than it is the uh, outcome. Sure. And you mentioned earlier that you like uh, extreme sports. And actually, I think I've seen some photos of you on Instagram doing some crazy things and you want to climb Everest. So is that a way for you to switch off from working? Um, it's not a way. To, so I think it's a really good way to release energy mm. uh, and gain energy. So like I, I found that like if I skydive or do like mo ride more of the racetrack and I go like 100 50 miles an hour, 200 miles an hour, it's it like I actually get more energy than I expend because it, it brings me like, it's it, like it just, I just get fueled with energy. Um, but it's a way for me to kind of unwind as well as um, recharge. Um, and, and in my personal life, I like going fast. I like um, challenges. Um, those are all things that correlate back to my professional life. Like, um, during the work, I really love working on multiple projects. Uh, I like challenges and I want to be constantly challenged. When I go to the racetrack, I learn like skydive. When I learned, like when I was learning to skydive and like I'm learning new moves and like, so it's, it's a way to kind of in real life experience the struggle, but in a more rewarding short term and, and more fun way that happens in the business world uh, or in my business life um, every day. Cool. I've never done anything like that, but you're kind of selling it to me. So maybe I'll. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so as someone who's part of a small team, I find myself juggling lots of different roles, which is really fun, but sometimes tricky to master. So I'm intrigued to know what this is like for you, because you're juggling different roles across multiple companies. So how do you manage that and find time and focus for all of them? Um. I think the biggest thing is focus on the things that actually move the needle uh, and have a goal. So 
um, in, instead of trying to do a lot to get to a goal, I try to think about what is the goal and how do I get there? And like, what are the tasks related to it? Um, and so it, the way I'm able to do a lot of things is one really, really great team. Um, we have a small team and every one of my companies or everything we work on, we've got no more than like three to five people working on, on a single company. Um, but we're able to do a lot with little because we focus really, really specifically on the few things that we can do to actually move the needle. You know, all our company's goals are really financial or new customer base or whatever. Um, and, and it's like, okay, well, what can we do to grow or how, how can we grow twice as fast? You know, as a team, we put together all of the ideas, but it's not like we're going to execute on all the ideas. We're going to probably execute on the top three to four. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it's just really picking the right things to work on. And I say that that means I say no to a lot of things. Like I'll give you an example at Mailshake, we could, you know, we get customers asking all the time about an affiliate program or referral program. And we have neither um, because when I did the math of how much, um, how much um, impact a referral program or affiliate program would have, it just didn't pan out. Um, it was just not big enough to move the needle. And that means if I were to do it, I would have to have, resources and time spent on managing it and that resources and time spent on managing it could be doing bigger, better things on higher impact. And so I just went through the math and I, okay, oh, I have, let's say I have 14,000 customers. How many of them would like in a perfect world, how many of them would participate in the, in the affiliate program? Okay. Let's just say 10%, um, 1400. And I just continued doing the math. I'm like, if 1400 people told all their friends that were incentivized, um, let's just say hypothetical, they have the best incentive ever. How many of their friends would sign up? Okay, let's say that's like 10% of those guys. Now 140, or maybe it's 20%, three, you know, 280. But even at 280 customers, one time at the best possible case scenario, that only really helps me with one, like half a month of my goal, um, like of my month annual goal. Um, we have a goal of like how many new customers we want to add. So like, our goal is just to put it definitively is like, I want to have 10, I want to add 10,000 new customers this year. 280 just gets me 28% of the way there. And that's at the best possible scenario. If I compare that to um, other channels I can work on, um, it's kind of, they, they, that one clearly doesn't win. And so it's just focus on, on the right things. Sure. I think that can be challenging for startups because, you know, care about so much what everyone else is doing which goes back to what we were saying earlier about not comparing yourself because I know we've had similar conversations at Q about setting up those kinds of growth targets. Yeah absolutely absolutely I think one one good rule of thumb here for startups is that or any company is that when you read about all these things um, use that as inspiration and then try to apply that idea to your own metrics and in your own business and figure out just on a pen and paper or on a napkin, how much that's going to, how that will impact you. And a lot of times that idea will go from like, oh my God, that's amazing to like, I don't know, that will be the biggest thing for us. You know, we should keep, we should stay focused. And so, you know, really we focus a lot on, on, on core channels and, and trying to do them better and expand them instead of trying to find new channels. So um, this is going to be a recurring theme for, for, for some time for us is, um, you know, small team trying to do a lot with a little and little being little team and budget, um, we have to really choose a battle. 
Sure. So let's say a startup came to you with kind of resources, like yeah, a small team and not much of a budget. What three things would you advise them to focus on to grow their business? Um, it really depends on like where they're at. Like, is it like where, where are they at? You want to add like a hypothetical, like they're at like millionaire or maybe they're at 10,000 customers, 1,000. Can you give me some specifics? Let's say like a very early stage startup, like let's say Q in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, Q in the beginning, what I would say is go find your first 10, 100 or 1,000 customers. Like don't think about scale. Don't think about ongoing, building a team. Think about how the heck you're going to get 100 customers. Um, and when you get to get 100 customers, you have to be really, really scrappy. Okay, and let's say you have 100 customers. And you got to think about how you're going to get your 1,000 because going from 100 to 1,000 is very, very different than from 1,000 to the next, you know, 5,000 or 10,000. And, and so what I mean by this is that, like, every level you hit, like, the, the like your, your – things change to go from zero to a hundred. It's all about hustle and, 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 and hacks and, you know, tenacity go from a hundred to a thousand is all about the right tactics and the, and, and, you know, putting together a strategy um, that you think could work going from a thousand to 10,000 is really all strategy. Like there's no hack that's going to get you there. A hack might unlock something, but it's never like, it's really about, prioritization and, and process uh, and figuring out what channels you can leverage um, than it is anything else. So that's my advice is, is that really figure out what it is. And I think um, a lot of early stage founders, I get lots of emails from people and my, my whole take is I only answer emails with the, from que uh, questions from people that they can't Google themselves. So I think a lot of people just think like they go to the expert, they go to somebody like, hey, help me solve this problem. When what they should be doing is going and Googling things um, and and trying to figure out, make a short list of things they should try. So like a, a very concrete example is like, hey, I have a high churn rate. How do I solve churn? Well, go read every article there is on churn. Come up with like a list of five or 10 ideas. Make a list of all the ideas you think uh, are going to be um, helpful and then then go talk to the experts and get their opinion on what you should execute on um, because then at least you'll get really good advice from people instead of getting something that's like an article you could have read a long time ago so so again just really put in that work and and, and do their research uh, oftentimes um, somebody reads an article it's like I want to do that and you know that, that's not that's not how you grow a business Sure. And I guess it's tricky because the digital marketing landscape is constantly changing, constantly evolving at such a fast rate. And if you're working in this industry, you do have to keep up and continually adapt and learn new skills. Um, so would you say, like, like you've just said, often it's best just to go and Google things and read things. Is that how you've continually kept learning in your career? Um, or maybe are you the type of person who kind of needs to jump in and actually do something in order to learn? Yeah, so I mean, I, I always like, I, I spend a lot of time reading um, and, and talking to other folks. And so, you know, I used to learn a lot from just reading articles, books and whatnot. Um, but I definitely have to learn from actually doing. So I, like, I read a bunch of like, what can I actually execute on? And I try it. And so I'm a very trial and error type learner. So I need to know, I need the knowledge. So I know what to try and I need 
to try it so I know what works. Um, but nowadays, you know, it, it's about building kind of like your, your, your community. So nowadays I learn a lot from my friends and, and other marketing people. And instead of reading an article, I learn from the author himself. And, and, and so one, I get it way before they write about it. Um, and also I get, you know, I get to have a conversation. Like I just, you know, I just came, came back from breakfast with um, the VP of marketing at big commerce. And he talked about his growth and, what he's doing, how his team looks like. And I shared what I'm doing. And, you know, I think I got one or two things. I won't share them exactly, but um, specifically, but, you know, I got a couple nuggets of things I should try. So I'm always kind of connecting with more folks. And it's not because I have a brand or I do anything different. It's that, you know, the VP of marketing for big commerce grew up in Orange County. He moved to Austin recently. And I said, hi, I'm from Orange County too. We should chat, you know? So it was like a, you know, it's a common interest. I don't think he, you know, I don't think he cares who I am or whatever. So I think what I'm saying is that anybody can do it. Um, it doesn't matter where, where you're from. You just got to find the kind of common interest. Sure. Yeah, um, I think I often find that's the best way to learn too. And I really love Slack groups for that. Just talking to people. And as you said, you get wind of all of their content before they even publish it. But do you have any favorite sources for content, like any blogs or sites that you really like? Um, to be honest, I usually just go to, um, growth hackers and I just follow the links. Like I just read a ton of stuff. And every time I read an article, I find another site I should be reading and I check that out. Um, and I just kind of keep following the links. And now I have all these articles in pocket, um, that I, that I, that I, um, that I add to my favorites and kind of read at a, at a later time. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really, that's kind of really where I, uh, I, I learned from. Sure. And you write for yourself um, on a very regular basis. So you're writing for major publications like Forbes and Inc. and Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, how do you continually come up with new ideas on such a regular basis? And how often do you think businesses and brands should be publishing new content? Um, I think, you know, I think the quality has in, in the amount of content has increased drastically over the last five years. Uh, I think people should be publishing a lot less and focusing on great content, creating what would be a, considered an amazing piece of content, not just in volume. Um, those who are publishing regularly, you know, or I guess more frequent content should be um, um, focused on engaging the audience rather than growing. Uh, yeah, so I think just focusing on great, great quality of content, and that means anything better than what's out there. Um, now and then, um, then you figure out how you can do that at a regular cadence, whether it's weekly, monthly, biweekly, whatever. Um, uh, I think in terms of how I come up with ideas, I look for, I talk to other individuals. I, I, I look on Quora, I look on BuzzSumo to see what's, you know, what's popular. Um, I look on what people are searching for. I look at our help uh, support docs, uh, support questions, and I just kind of look for keywords. Uh, what people are asking about. And, and um, I'm always kind of keeping a pulse on my customer. I usually engage with um, at least five or 10 customers a, a week, um, just through email and sometimes through phone or Slack or whatnot. And um, it kind of gives me a pulse of like what they're looking for. Um, so I just know what's happening. And I always cross-reference that with like, what would be a good article? And so I always have a list of things that are like, uh, I want to write about that, um, that help me kind of, uh, help me kind of seed the, the content. Oh. 
Um, and obviously video and audio content are really big right now. And I know that you're really good at creating video on a regular basis. But I read that you used to have a fear of public speaking. Um, and now, yeah, obviously you do videos and you speak at major international conferences and you seem really comfortable doing that from the outside. So how did you overcome that? And what advice would you give someone who's nervous about creating video? Because I think it's quite a big challenge for a lot of marketers who maybe were writers initially and now they're moving into this new space. Um, I think it's just practice. Um, it's really just kind of coming down to practice. If you're a writer, take the content you've written and try to make that into a script. Read it. Um, I really suck at like script reading. I suck at reading in general, like out loud. Um, and so I just make an outline of the things I want. Like I have a topic, I make an outline, kind of like I'm writing an article. And I just go on a video and rant about it. My first hundreds of videos were really bad. Uh, in fact, you know, it, to, to, to record like five, six videos, it, now it takes me an hour. Uh, it used to take me half a day to create the same amount of content I created in an hour today. Um, so it's just practice. Um, I think really comes down to that. In terms of public speaking, um, lots of different, it's really hard to answer that because um, I don't know what, like, you know, people have like um, different fear and whatever. I just kind of sucked at like getting in front of like I would really be good in front of a group, small group of people, but I got on stage or whatever. I just suck at like um, explaining things. So, um, or, and I just was scared to death of like what people are, you know, have commanding the room. Um, and so uh, part of it came from practice. Um, um, you can do something like Toastmasters, which is really awesome to kind of really help you get your thoughts out there. I think if, if anybody um, has a fear of public speaking, I think Toastmasters is probably the best place to learn. Um, and that just helps you public speak, but like become better at communicating. But yeah, it's just, I think it's just hours on the job and doing it. Cool. That's reassuring to know actually, because I've definitely experimented with video a bit and it just takes me ages, but I can see how it gets easier. Sure. yeah so easier uh, time yeah exactly so obviously you've been giving loads of good marketing advice and life advice in general in this podcast but have you had any marketing advice recently that you thought was really bad or do you have any pet peeves at the moment to do with marketing um <laughs> I, my pet peeves are just people going after tactics or like looking for a growth hack and or like looking for a thing a silver bullet there is none. If there was a silver bullet, um, people have already used it, abused it, and it would no longer work. So, um, yeah, there's no, like, magic. I think you kind of have to figure out what the, – the, you have to do the hard work. And uh, people always read – my biggest pet peeve is uh, marketers read something and they take it for face value. You no, know, you have to use that for inspiration. And it's always frustrating. Like, well, if I just repeat the growth that Airbnb had – um, through or Dropbox and like, yes, but that's a 10 year old example and, you know, very specific to their use case. And so, you know, it's, it's, you have to go deeper than the face value, what you read. Yeah. Um, and on the flip side, are there any marketing trends that you're really excited about now that you think you would advise businesses to jump on? Yeah. I'm most excited about conversational marketing, leveraging live chat, chat bots, and, and really, instead of going after like going and filling out long lead forms and whatnot, um, actually um, um, getting that information by talking to your customers through live chat or, you know, a chat bot and get that 
Um, so it's really interesting. I, I urge any B2B or even e-commerce company to test that. I uh, can't say it always worked, but every test I've run, um, it's, definitely, it's definitely worked well. Now, if you're a marketer or business owner in the B2B space and you're not already following Sujin, well, you might just be living under a rock. But just in case, here are the best places to find him. Uh, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, it's just find me. Uh, Twitter is at Sujin Patel and LinkedIn is just search for Sujin Patel. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I write a lot about uh, marketing, growth, entrepreneurship at my blog, SujinPatel.com. Thank you for listening to our third episode of Conversations with Q, with very special guest Sujin Patel. I personally found it fascinating to talk to such a highly motivated and successful individual, as well as hearing his perspective on business growth and marketing, so I hope you did too. If you'd like to have a chat with us about anything we discussed in this episode, feel free to tweet us at q underscore co or call into our Anchor FM station, Qcast. We'd also love it if you could give us some stars on iTunes so that more people can find out about us. Thank you.